0: Hi, I'm Weston. This is Queer Meets Queer, and we are back with more LGBTQ plus relationship stories. Today is a bit of a landmark for Queer Meets Queer because we will be hearing our very first relationship story about a father and a son. Jim, the son of this relationship, will be telling the story.
1: Well, my name is Jim, um, and I go by he and him.
0: Jim is in his 60s with a gray beard and a strong brow. One thing in particular I remember is his thick, long hair. Like many people, he hasn't been able to keep up with regular haircuts because of COVID. Jim has reason to be particularly cautious about being in close contact with strangers, not only because he is in an at-risk age group, but because he is a long-term HIV survivor. Jim's story is expansive. It spans almost a hundred years and traverses a few remarkable transformations. We spoke with Jim back in December on a rooftop patio in North Portland. It was a sunny, chilly day, and like on most sunny days in Portland, people were out and about. If you listen closely, you can hear people talking on the streets below and the occasional passing of the Portland streetcar. Our story starts with Jim's father,
1: John. He was born in 1924 in Memphis to a relatively somewhat wealthy family. They owned the lumber yard and the mill. He was the youngest of nine kids, and so he was raised largely by uh, two of his older sisters. The family had a lot of wealth prior to the Depression, and then they lost all that.
0: So when John was about 10 or 11, his family lost a lot of their wealth and started boarding people in their home to make ends meet. By the time John was in high school, the economy was stabilizing. But tensions in Europe were on the
1: rise. And I think right out of high school, he tried to get into the U.S. Army Air Corps. And he was way underweight, so he had to eat bushels of bananas to get in.
0: Jim's father spent several years serving in World War II before moving to the West Coast.
1: And from there, uh, he ended up in California, which is where he met my mom and I was the youngest of four kids. My dad was about six foot tall. He was really slender. Um, He had a great off-color sense of humor. He was really creative. After the war, he turned down a job at Disney Studios, being a cartoonist, because it wasn't a manly profession. Hmm. It wasn't a way you support a family in his mind. What I remember is all of his love of working with wood, So my memories of him are of someone that always had an off-color joke. Probably one of the clearest memories is my dad took tremendous pride in what we as kids called his SBDs, silent but deadlies. (laughs) Um, um, You wouldn't hear it, but suddenly you would all be gagging and we would all go running from the room and he took so much humor in blaming it on, on the dog. You know, that damn dog, he loved animals. Um, We lived in the city, but he really liked animals. So my memories of my dad is we had a goose, we had ducks, we had pigeons, we got chickens.
0: So John, as Jim remembers him, seems like a pretty cool guy. He had a creative side. He loved animals and was a purveyor of classic dad jokes. But John had a
1: darker side too. My dad was an alcoholic and he just had a lot of rage and anger that would erupt. And so we grew up in a house that didn't feel safe. You know, you learn to watch for things that let you know you needed to get out of the room, you know, so you wouldn't be, become the target. Um, He was at his best, you know, when he had about two or three drinks into him, he was really, could be really enjoyable. Um, And you just wouldn't know if the shift was going to happen because he would either shift into somebody sleeping on the sofa or somebody explosive. And so it wasn't that uncommon to, you know, have a dinner plate hit the wall and that was just home. So families are affected. You don't have friends to the house. You know, we just, we lived a very isolated You know, people didn't talk about husbands beating their wives. That wasn't, um, it was like a secret that people had. In my family, it's like any of us could have been affected when he'd have outbursts. But most of it seemed to be directed largely at my mom. And then as I got a little older, largely at me and my mom, all kids want to be loved. And he didn't seem capable of loving me. And um, and it didn't make a lot of sense. You know, I just knew I had a dad that didn't approve of me. I, I knew that I had to pretend. You know, so growing up from a young age, I always had to be in a role. I, I didn't, I, I never felt free to explore being me and the wonder of self-discovery. You were always trying to, be a person that wouldn't trigger an explosive um, outburst. I was someone that was really aware from a really young age that I was different. Um, I remember my first crush was my dad's employee. I was maybe three, you know, cause I remember that I, I didn't have to wear pants. So I know I was really young, <laughs> um, you know, um, uh, all four of us kids would sometimes go down to the printing plant and he had a, an employee by the name of Jim Hodges. And, But I just had a huge crush on him. I remember I would follow him around the printing plant because he just radiated loving daddy. I was the little boy that loved wearing Easter bonnets and dancing on the counter. And that was really hard for my dad. Um, So I think he saw early signs of the fact that he had a potentially different son and it wasn't something that he could really accept. There was a lot of anger towards me
0: Later, over a phone call, Jim told me a story about a little prank his father played on him that unexpectedly pushed them further apart.
1: I was in the second grade, and there was going to be a school assembly, and I was going to be President Lincoln for President's Day. And my mom had made a stovepipe hat, and I had my costume, and this was about three days before. And my dad and my sister told me that the school had called, and that it was no longer going to be the Abraham Lincoln skit that instead it was going to be a ballet and we were all going to have to dance. And, um, now what my dad wasn't aware of was my sister, Karen about a month before that had gotten this pink body leotard and black and pink tutu because she was in ballet classes and I had been lusting over trying it on. So when I heard that it was going to be a ballet instead of it. um, uh within like two hours i was in my sister's room i'd no longer i'd no more than gotten the the whole body leotard on pulled on the tutu was just starting to look in the mirror and the bedroom door opened, and it was my dad and the look of disgust it was it it gave me all the context at that point i understood part of where that hate was not hate but um, um that there was a lot of disgust for me and it was related to that aspect of me. Um, wh- when did you start to realize that maybe this was a more challenging father and child relationship than you had hoped for or expected? You know, as a, probably as a teenager, you know, you you pull more things together and, um, and by teen years, there was, you know, I had my own anger. <laughs> developing you know because you mirror your parents Mm -hmm. it's like in my freshman year in high school you know that we wouldn't talk about the subject but my mom would talk about the really wonderful things that they were doing at the Clinic with electric shock and that they were considering maybe sending me there so you know you know that your your job is to present that you're not gay you know, and thank God I wasn't sent to the Mayo Clinic with electric shot. Mm-hmm. I would be such a kinky person. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that would be a terrible way to condition somebody. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, um, so, teen years was when there was a real turn. Mm-hmm. Um, he had left. He had gone down to California for about a year, so we had about a, a year without him being in the home, and um, and I had so much anger when he returned. And I, uh, you know, hate to admit it, you know, there were times that because of the abuse of my mom that I fantasized about like knocking the ladder out from under him, you know, I would never act on that. But I had my own anger, rage and stuff that was growing in me, um, which I didn't fully understand. When I graduated from high school at 17, um, I immediately went into a cult. Because there I had acceptance, and I had this family unit that I'd never had that was accepting and valuing me and seeing worth in me, and Mm -hmm. that was just not something I'd ever experienced.
0: The cult was called the Portland Group, and it was small, with around 40 members. By phone, Jim told me how a high school friend introduced him to the group, and to an intriguing woman named Karen.
1: We met in a friend's backyard. I was over smoking marijuana Mm -hmm. and, uh, the gal from school Lynette, who in the cult was Felicia was coming over to that same backyard to just socialize. And she brought Karen. And then when the conversation steered towards UFO and all that stuff. And I realized that they were members of this cult that I'd heard about, you know, I'd heard it as being a black witchcraft type thing. And I was intrigued (laughs) each person coming into the cult had a sponsor. But she wasn't my sponsor. Lynette ended up being my sponsor. And Karen was just someone that uh, kept pursuing one-on-one time with me. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I didn't know she had any interest. At that age, I didn't think anyone had any interest, um, let alone a girl.
0: In the cult, Jim found something of a chosen family. He felt valued. He felt cared for. He felt wanted. Karen, A woman who was six years older than him began pursuing him romantically
1: we were spending lots of time at night looking for ufos up in the sky and she was explaining that she was planning on seducing me and so suddenly it was like oh my god you know so i just had to tell her it's like that would be great but i'm pretty sure i'm gay Mm. you know all the indications are is, is that i'm gay and i don't want to be and she just assumed He's 18, it's lack of experience. Uh, We became intimate and I really thought that if I could just do that, then I would never act on the homosexuality and I could just put that away. And then I would be able to fit into society and and everything would be okay. And uh, it was on my 19th birthday. She had a little too much Southern comfort. The diaphragm didn't get in quite right. And, um, and so suddenly we had a positive pregnancy test, and I was overjoyed. I mean, my one goal in life was to be a dad and to be a better dad than the dad I had. Mm. That was like if, you know, it was like this was my salvation. Everything was going to be OK.
0: Karen's positive pregnancy test came around Christmas. Jim was excited to be a father, and there was a sense of celebration in the air he decided that the family Christmas gathering would be the perfect time to tell his father the news. To breach the subject, Jim bought his father a cigar with the word congratulations written on the wrapper.
1: And so I took him aside separately. And, you know, and at this point in time, I'm 19. And, um, and I gave him the cigar and he looked at it and he said, thank you. He looked a little puzzled and I said, well, there's more to that. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, it says, congratulations, you're gonna be a grandfather. And I was expecting that he was gonna be so glad that his son was having intimacy with females. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was expecting all this positive, but instead it was, you've got to have her abort it. This is the worst thing you could do with your life. You're throwing your life away. You know, it was not the expectation I had, Mm -hmm. which I didn't have context at the time, Mm. but life has revealed to me that some things that don't make sense at the time, later on with more knowledge, make a lot of sense.
0: Sometime after the pregnancy announcement, Jim's mom revealed a family secret. Jim's older brother had been a bit of a surprise. The pregnancy came early on in their courtship, but Jim's father proposed and they got married
1: and so that's how they got married, and that's how the family began. So it had kind of a non-auspicious beginning.
0: This gave Jim some perspective on why his father reacted so negatively to the news that he and Karen were having a baby.
1: And so I realized that all of that anger he had towards her becoming pregnant had nothing to do with me and her, it had everything to do with him and the course that his life went, is, is that he had lots of anger of the fact that he started a family he didn't want to start. He chose a life course that wasn't the course he wanted to follow. And he saw me manifesting that same destiny. And so I think that's where it came from. He apologized later on because what was really wonderful for us is even though he seemed incapable of loving me, he loved my kids. He was a good grandpa the love he showed my kids was really um, heartwarming. And by loving them, he was loving part of me. And so it was a really healing time to see those early years with my kids and what a great granddad he was to them. We still were always distant; There was always a wall.
0: Having kids also changed Jim and Karen's relationship with the cult.
1: Karen and I, once you become parents, it changes you. And um, we started trying to figure out how to pull away from the cult, but that's a hard thing to do. And so we decided that we wanted to become Roman Catholic. We were gonna have our son baptized Roman Catholic, but found out that we had to be. When we started converting, a lot of other people from the cult decided they too wanted to become Roman Catholic. But it was our movement to get out of the cult. We were trying to extricate ourselves And not knowing quite how to do that um, without becoming, you know, like anybody that leaves the current cult, Mm -hmm. you know, the cult leader turns on them and then all the cult members turn on them. And and that's what cults are about.
0: Jim, Karen, and several other young members of the Portland group ended up successfully converting to Roman Catholicism and left the cult. As part of this process, Jim and Karen were illegally married. It was around this time that Jim began to feel restless.
1: My youngest was about three, and I was literally going crazy because when you're pretending you're someone you're not and you have this drive that's pushing you to do something that you won't, you start imagining that everybody knows. You know. So I was really going mentally not in a good place. Mm. And so I told Karen, I said, I need to take a little time out from the marriage that there's some stuff I need to figure out. And she says, does it have to do with that gay thing? And I said, yes, it does.
0: Karen didn't take it well. And who can blame her? Jim and his gay thing were turning her life upside down.
1: Her response was to out me to everyone. Um, So her circle, my family, and I understand it. And I totally forgive her totally Mm -hmm. forgive her and she had a right to vent and share but what it did was it took this person that was so homophobic you know it's hard to be a homophobic gay guy it's a hard road to hoe (laughs) um when you hit yourself that much but that's how i was raised
0: jim's father also didn't take it well
1: it was too much for my dad and he wanted to disown me and it was really my oldest sister and my mom, but they stepped up to prevent that from happening.
0: Next time on Queer Meets Queer. Jim begins his new life as an out gay man.
1: Out on that dance floor, it was the very first time that I ever felt free to be me.
0: It's 1980 and the Portland gay community is enjoying something of a golden
1: age. It was so mind expanding to go in and see how huge the gay population was and how varied it was. There was not news of what was already moving in the community and looming on the horizon. There was just no knowledge of it. But yeah, it was liberating. It was liberating to come out in Portland at that time.
0: Jim meets the love of his life.
1: Bob had come up behind me and um, had just thrown his arms around me, which is not something that had ever happened. You know, because we were just friends. And it was the nicest, most connected thing I had ever felt. And his relationship with his
0: father changes forever.
1: And from that moment on, we never ended a conversation without both telling each other how much we loved each other.
0: Subscribe to this podcast to catch part two of Jim's story. It will be out next week. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Queer Meets Queer. If you are wondering how to support this podcast, please leave us a positive review. Reviews help people find us, and it's a totally free way to give us a boost. All right, that's it. See you all next time.